The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Have I got a surprise for you today. We're going to be talking to seasoned journalist Don Bray. Don has spent a lifetime tracking down a plethora of documents to pursue leads, check for accuracy, gather background information, verify information provided by others, looking for resource documents. He's done it all. He's got a wealth of knowledge about tracking down source documents and scrutinizing their content that he calls interviewing the document. Good morning, Don. Good morning. Let me tell you about Don. He's a veteran multimedia investigative journalist, producer, and author. He's written or produced for NBC, CBS, PBS, and Disney, among others. He's written six books, six books that relate to public records, background investigations, document interpretations, privacy issues, and something he calls writing for the ear, which we're going to ask him about. Before becoming a journalist, Don worked in law enforcement as a U.S. combat military policeman in Vietnam, a postal police officer, and then a fraud analyst with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. But for the last 20 years, he's trained tens of thousands of law enforcement agents, private investigators, and investigative journalists, and that's how I met Don years ago. He trained journalists in the third world countries and other developing democracies. It's too many to name, like Nigeria and Nicaragua and Armenia, all these places that... Um, are all around the world. He's in the process now of forming a not-for-profit corporation to focus on preserving all forms of the media so future generations can enjoy access. So, Don, did you just fall into the journalism field? How did that happen? Um, it's kind of interesting. It uh, Originally, what, what happened is I, I have a reading disorder, believe it or not, and it's very difficult for me to read uh, some problem with the brain and all that stuff. But in 11th grade, there were, they offered a class, uh, horrible 11th grade English was English literature, and I knew I couldn't survive it. So there was a class called Journalism English, and hmm. they said that that was less reading, so I took Journalism English. <laughs> yeah, less reading. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't have to know how to read to write, so it, it worked out. <laughs> well, that's good. So um, back, to, back to the introduction, can you tell us what writing for the ear is? Well, basically, yes, yes, I can. That's the answer to that one, and I will. The uh, problem we have is every one of us is a storyteller. Every one of us knows how to communicate by talking, and we get the bulk of the information throughout our day from listening to people talk. The uh, problem is when people sit down to write something, 
their English teacher comes into their head and kicks their brain around, and they end up uh, writing this garbage uh, way of writing that nobody ever speaks that way. Um, and I'll explain more. But basically what happens is they write it in a way that is really difficult for the reader to understand. The reader doesn't know why they don't want to read more, but they just stop reading. And so uh, because I've been a broadcast journalist, I learned early on how to write for the ear. It basically just means writing something the way you say it uh, mm -hmm. rather than trying to make it really sound really impressive and all that stuff. And the, the, the two worst groups of people doing this are – are law enforcement investigators and um, and journalists, unfortunately. Too many journalists do it the wrong way. So, Yeah, I know. We were just talking before we got went live about uh, – we both read police reports, things like exited the vehicle, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I always love. And uh, uh, reports that I hate to read are ones that say this investigator. Of course, yeah. We don't don't want to dare say I or me. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's what's also interesting is about it is that government people have learned the art of passive voice. Now, most people really don't know what passive voice means, but passive voice is where the doer of the action is not the noun; it's a, it's an object of some sort. In other words, the boy hit the ball is active because the boy is mm -hmm. doing the action, and mm -hmm. the action is the ball, and the thing he's doing is hitting. But what a really interesting thing that you can do with passive voice is that you can leave the subject out completely. In other words, by putting it as an object, but then not saying it. For example, uh, 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 you have been observed uh, messing up at your job, and mm -hmm. it doesn't say who did the observing. Uh, mm -hmm. it, has been, it has been decided that you will not be promoted. Because nobody wants to take responsibility. So they write in this passive voice thing, and it just becomes so standard that you have no idea who's talking and in government and in education and things like that, sometimes that works out. Yeah, that's funny. But not well, good. But not oh, good. I've I got to tell you the best example of this one, all right? Uh, the listeners can, can try to remember this sentence because I'm going to ask two questions about these two sentences. This came from an actual newspaper uh, not far from where I am. But the, uh, the, the two sentences are, one of them is uh, a Van Nuys woman. No, I'm sorry. The body of a Van Nuys woman was found stuffed in the back of her car. And the second line in it was, uh, the, uh, the cause of death was determined to be strangulation. Now, that sounds good, right? It's, those are good, except I left out part of the sentences. Now, I'm going to read them back again, and you're going to see how passive voice changes the meaning. Because okay. what it actually read was, the body of a Van Nuys woman was found stuffed in the back of her car by police. Uh-huh. Um, and then it said the cause of death was determined to be uh, strangulation by the coroner. <laughs> so the coroner strangled her, and the police stuffed her in the back of the car. Case closed. But that's what can happen when you write in passive voice. I love that. That's, that's it's wonderful. a true story, you know. <laughs> that's a wonderful story. Well, you might be surprised, and we didn't talk about this, Don, because um, I met you. I can't even remember the first time it's been years and years but i, I have in my parole hearing wasn't it <laughs> maybe <laughs> but i have in front of me a yellow book called the california california public records primer and investigators handbook by don ray 1995 edition wow yeah how about and that it, and it still holds up except the phone numbers have changed it still holds up you know the strategies are still the same 
it doesn't change. So let's so let's talk about that. You you have uh, a particular expertise in what you call interviewing documents. That's part of that's part of the the uh, part of the track you have to go on. To put it in context, is that you first have to get into the mindset of how to find information, and then using public records, people nowadays using indexes or indices, and that gives you a lot of information. And the real art comes with tracking down the source documents, and then beyond that, it's a matter of looking deeply into the documents and finding out what they're trying to tell you of, that you may not be listening to. Well, can you give me an example of that? Oh, of course. Um, the uh, Who created the document? Why did they create it? And that really can be important to find out why it's there and who's there. Um, where were you born? I ask documents that all the time. I want to find out when the document was issued and, and find out about updates and things. Another really important one is asking, well, what language do you speak? Because uh, even though it's in English, they're going to have terms and, and stuff like that. And if you don't know the terms, you don't speak the language and you don't understand it. Um, What's an example of that? Well, um, you, could, you could be looking at military records and see the word DEROS, D-E-R-O-S, or SPIN code, S-P-N. You can see that. And you can w- walk right past them and not know what they mean. And it would be like talking to a witness or something who says some terms you don't understand, you might, if you're a good investigator, say, excuse me, excuse me, I don't know what that term means. What does it mean? Oh, well, that means that I killed three people. Uh, well, the same thing applies on, on documents. There will be terminology and gobbledygook and things like that. All right, here's a good example. On a death certificate in California, you can look at a death certificate, and down, down near the bottom, it has a space called a place uh, that's labeled, a box labeled informant. And it'll have a name there. Well, mm-hmm. most people see that and they think, ah, here's <laughs> the person who found the body. Right. And But it's not that. It's, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. And I've actually done news stories where someone, or I've read other people's news stories where somebody tried to put somebody at the scene of a crime because they saw them down as the informant when in reality they were 200 miles away. The informant is the person who provides the information for the document. Because in the case of a death certificate, usually the dead person can't provide that information. So it tells you who the informant is. Now, why is it important to know that? Well, if informant means the person who found the body, they're not going to know much about that person's life, possibly. Mm-hmm. But informant is always someone who knows something about the fam- or the person and the family. So by looking for the informant, you know someone who has more knowledge about it than the medical officer or the paramedic or somebody else who's on the scene. Okay. And they, they're wealth of information. So that's the kind of thing that if you don't understand the language of the document, uh, you might as well be speaking another language and, and you lose out on it. Um, and, and there's other things that, that, that documents don't live alone. You, know, you can ask them where they live because it might mean that you, wherever the source of that document is, you might need to return. But, but there's other family members. Documents are married sometimes. Uh, a search warrant a search warrant has has two brothers. Uh, a return of a search warrant and the affidavit in support of the search warrant, and you don't want to get one without getting the whole family. Uh, you know, why are you here? You know, ask them why are they why why is there a need for a document? Usually, the need for the document is information that you need right off the bat. Um, and then asking what information do you have, and then learning to look at every square, every part of the thing, and understanding what that means because oftentimes major clues. Hmm. Will be in there that you didn't you didn't realize. Interesting. Uh, it's really fascinating, but there's there's a lot of those. But basically, you treat the document as if it's a person, 
and realize that documents are born, they die, they divorce, they marry, uh, they vanish, uh, they lie. Did you know that, that documents lie? Huh. Sometimes, sometimes they're misinformed, and sometimes they lie, and, uh, you know, there's a, they, they retire. They, they, they'll send them off somewhere, they become obsolete. But finding the obsolete document will give you information that uh, you might not have uh, been able to get with the current document. Well, it's so interesting to uh, put the human face on the document. It makes it changes the dynamics of it altogether. I mean, that's fascinating to me. That's really great. Well, I put it together as a way of uh, of reminding people to to go beyond just looking for uh, an index for one piece of information or grabbing a, a, a file and looking at looking for what's the social security number, what's the address, what's this. And then ignoring the rest of it. I mean, a great example was I was hang on, fortunate. Hang on with the example, okay? Okay, we no take examples. a quick back. Yeah, we're listening okay. to author and journalist Don Ray. More after a brief break. Oh, he's singing to us now. <laughs> I like the music. I like the mood you do, do it. <laughs> talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. You do research. Do you know what to look for in a document? Seasoned journalist Don Ray is here to share his expertise with us. Tell us more, Don. I cut you off in mid-sentence. Oh, I know. It was worth it just for that theme music. I swear. <laughs> it, it makes me it makes me want to go into film noir style just to tell the story. <laughs> well, go it was, ahead. It was one of those Sunday mornings when I wanted to sleep in, but the phone rang early. 
it was a voice that I knew, but I, I knew he didn't want to be identified. And he told me about what led to basically the, me breaking the story of Michael Jackson's criminal investigation originally into uh, being a pedophile. And uh, it was a big, big story to break. And uh, what was interesting about it is once the entire world jumped on the story, uh, I was kind of left in the dust, which was fine because it wasn't the most fun story in the world. But uh, I was at a local television station when they received a copy of um, it was of the the um, the the caseworker, the child services caseworkers file, mm-hmm. and uh, it had been illegally purchased by someone else. And you know, of course, legitimate news people don't don't purchase illegal things but when an illegitimate news person does it and once it's out there everybody grabs it so right. so this tv station had it and all the people were crowding around it now the back part of it were photocopies of of a legal pad where someone had written original notes that included this kid who claimed to be a victim of michael jackson all of his statements were on there you know graphically describing what he claimed michael jackson did to him the front of it was this boring type stuff and everyone, a reader, going past the front pages of the whole thing and going to the back. And I was finally able to get my hands on the front part of it, and I was reading through it. And what, what it ends up that they didn't get the investigator's original report. What, what they had was not the investigator's report. It was a supervisor's report because, as it turns out, the, uh, the, the policy must have been that when you find a child who claims he's been abused, one of the first things you ask them is, do you know of any other kids are being abused? Are there mm-hmm. kids at risk? And so this was the report that the agent or the, the caseworker sent in. And so on it typed up there uh, was this portion that was not of interest to all the people scrambling through the papers. And it said <laughs> uh, other possible kids affected. And it had the name of a very famous child star. And so this kid was telling basically everybody that or telling the caseworker that, oh, yeah, he talks about this other kid that he's been doing this to. And it was a famous child actor. And yet, in all this frenzy, because people wanted to go for what they thought was the important part of the document, the juicy part, they passed over stuff that was incredibly relevant, and they missed it. Wow. So wow. The, key, the rule is you read every word in the document, even if it, you, you, you're, you're salivating to get to the good stuff, but you have to read every word because that's when the, a lot of really good stuff comes in. That's amazing. And and how was it, Don, that you broke the story? Well, it was a Sunday morning, and I was <laughs> laying in bed. <laughs> the, the phone woke me up with one of those headaches that you don't want. No, uh, <laughs> basically, I I, uh, I got a tip uh, on a Sunday morning from a law enforcement person, and uh, he basically said, uh, uh, "Did you uh, uh, let's see? Did, did we? They said an interesting search warrant has just been has just gone down or has gone down." Uh, okay, well, it's Sunday morning, and for somebody who's freelance, it's not easy on a Sunday to do much with it. I said, okay, okay well, what, what was it? Who was it? He says, does the word Neverland mean anything to you? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, I listen to Latin music, so I'm thinking Peter Pan, um, you know, little did I know how close I was. And he says, uh, Moonwalk, what about Moonwalk? And I, All right, what is that? Rap music, uh, uh, MTV, uh, Michael Jackson. Oh, Neverland. Oh, oh, Michael Jackson. Oh, all right. I'm interested. You know? right, right. So then, of course, this person is anonymous, even though I know who he is, and uh, and he was well, the, the head of LAPD's uh, uh, child child endangerment unit or whatever. But he uh, he he said, uh, I said, well, um, what can you tell me about it? 
and uh, he said uh, they they had to use a locksmith to get in to uh, that to, to get into some parts of it, and then he couldn't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, all I have is uh, is uh, I think he, I think he said it was in yeah Neverland. I said, well, you know, that's up north, that's in Santa Barbara County, and so then it was a matter of where do you start on a on a Sunday morning when all you know is that. Uh, that there was a search warrant that went down, and and the, they can't tell you more. Now, since the guy was a pedophile cop, I, I knew right away that he wouldn't be involved with it if it wasn't about pedophilia and stuff. Right. So the, what do you do? You, well, you find the locksmith. They, they had to use a locksmith to get in. So I called, you know, it's one of the questions, basic questions that I recommend people ask themselves is who would know? So I, I called uh, my brother-in-law up in the Santa Barbara and said, open your yellow pages and read the names of the locksmiths. So he read them to me. The second one I called, um, uh, the, a woman answered on a Sunday morning, and I said, I'd like to speak to the locksmith who was in Neverland yesterday, and or this morning. I said this morning. And she said, well, that would have to be Dwayne. So, oh so she wakes Dwayne up, and uh, so Dwayne gets on the phone, and I said, yeah, I understand you were in uh, Neverland this morning. And he says, well, no, it's not true. And I was about to say, well, thank you, goodbye. And he said, no, it was yesterday. Oh. So, all right, fine. Oh, well, um, uh, tell me about it. He said, well, they told me not to tell anything. I said, who's they? Well, the L.A. police. And I'm thinking, L.A. police in Santa Barbara, maybe it was part of a federal task force because my guy was on the task force, my, my source. He's no, no, just LAPD. And he wouldn't say anything. They said not to say anything. So I'm, I've confirmed that LAPD was up there, but I haven't confirmed why they were up there. I mean, I know in my mind that it's about pedophilia. And... Um, but I didn't. He didn't even state the reason he was there. So finally, I said to him, "Well, tell me your feelings on this." Which sounds like a stupid question, but then he says, "I'll tell you how I feel about it." He says, "I like Michael Jackson, so whatever they were searching for, I hope they didn't find." So then I got the confirmation there was a search. So then I went to the sheriff's office and said, "Were you guys invited along on that search yesterday?" And they said, "No, doggone it, we should have been." So they gave me the second confirmation of it. Mm-hmm. And from there, it, it took off. But uh, it was an amazing, uh, amazing morning. And then how did these documents come to light that, that you were talking about? Well, what happens is once <laughs> Michael Jackson was the most recognizable person in the world. Yeah, really. And what happened was that the minute word got out, well, we didn't break the story until, until Monday afternoon because we wanted LAPD's input on it and stuff like that. And so when they were... I, I broke it with Channel 4 News in, in Burbank, and they, uh, they, they put the story out, but they didn't – we hadn't got independent confirmation of, uh, of the fact that it was about pedophilia. We just couldn't get anyone, anyone on the record to say that, even though I knew it, but mine was a secondhand source at that point. So anyway, we teased it all day long, and everyone else was like at the edge of their seats waiting to find out what this was, all the other media people. And the minute, uh, well, the funny story is that it was their own, um, his own spokesperson that ended up breaking it for us. Uh, what was his name? The guy that went to jail for, for wiretapping. Um, uh, Anthony Pelicano. Pel- Pelicano, right. He was their spokesperson. And so what happened was that they got word that, quote, the story was out. And so he called up after the first, the first broadcast, I think it was at 5 o'clock, where we said that they were searching for something or whatever. He gets word, apparently, that the story is out and thinks that all the story is out. He wants to go on the air at 6 live and give their side of the story. And he comes on, and he's the one who broke the story and said, you know, the story about him being a pedophile is is just, uh, 
you know, blackmail and extortion or whatever it might be. So he broke it. But anyway, at that moment, then I think somewhere in England, in London, on Fleet Street, they were loading up millions of dollars onto a 747 and flying all that money out here to bribe every human being possible to get the information. And they were able to, this one group, a British group, were able to bribe a lot of people for secret, um, illegal, illegally obtained documents. You're talking about the Rupert Murdoch, Murdoch folks. No, there was actually another independent another group? group that was very good at it. Yeah. Oh, really? But I mean, everyone got involved with it. There, there was. There, after I broke that story, there was no, no good journalism for a long time. Amazing. Yeah. What an, yeah, what an amazing uh, thing to be part of because it was a media, just a media blitz, a frenzy, yeah. a media frenzy. It was the most, from what I understand, it was the 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 most covered story of an individual in the history of the media at the time. And uh, I remember I, I was working with a woman in India on a project about uh, violence against women in India, and I was having trouble reaching her, and I finally got in touch with her. And she said, when I reached her on the phone, she said, did you hear that Michael Jackson might be a molester? Oh, <laughs> my thought, goodness. My story can reach her before, before I could. But and, and the sad thing about uh, being accused of being a molester is that you can't ever unring that bell. It's right. always going to be out there in the public domain, even though he was found not responsible. Um, I know the investigator that worked on his defense case, mm-hmm. who's unfortunately now deceased. Um, he did a great job. Jesus Castillo um, did a great job. Um, and uh, so it's, it's just an unfortunate thing that that will always be connected with his name, no matter what his other talents were. Well, yeah, it's a shame. But on the other hand, too, if you know the inside information on it, there were an awful lot of kids that may have very well been been uh, damaged because of the relationship. So, uh, you know, uh, mm. it's, a, it's a justice system where if you have the money, you can become innocent. Uh, well, okay. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm neutral on the whole thing. But, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but the pictures were telling. I'll just tell you that. Okay. All right. How? What other kinds of uh, high-profile things have you been involved in besides Michael Jackson? Oh, well, I always pick the, uh, well, the things fall in my lap. I think one of the ones that I, I really w- was an amazing one was after, after I had, uh, had an assignment covering Larry Flint during mm-hmm. his crazy period where he was running for president and amazing, mm. amazing story. If anyone emails me at donray at donray.com, I'll send them a link to it. But, uh, you might uh, also say who Larry Flint is because a lot oh, of people might not know. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Really? Wow. Okay. Well, they probably know Hustler Magazine, though. Anyway, Maybe. Larry Flint is a is a is a. In one hand, he's he's a publisher of, of Hustler Magazine and a very very wealthy individual. Uh, he became infamous for his his fighting for the rights of the freedom of the press on behalf of all journalists and all all people. Uh, but at the other hand, too, the uh, the somebody, somebody, see, I'll do an active voice. I won't say he was shot, but somebody shot him, and it's believed that it was a government person trying to silence him. And he was crippled, and during his crazy period, as I call it, uh, 1983, he actually decided to run for president against President Reagan and uh, went on this wild 60, 90 days of just pure madness. He was arrested uh, in front of the, the uh, U.S. District Court in Los Angeles wearing... Uh, an American flag is a diaper and a, and a helmet and a flak jacket. And uh, uh, he was, uh, I was with him in the Supreme Court when he actually cussed out the Supreme Court. First first person to ever cuss out the Supreme Court. Oh, amazing. Just, it was amazing stuff. Uh, 
But regardless, after the stories I did about him uh, and this odyssey that I was on with him, uh, one of his uh, people from inside the magazine called me up and tipped me the fact that the L.A. sheriffs had come in looking for identifying information uh, about on file about this young and very newly popular porn star, which I didn't know anything about at the time. Hang but, on to that thought, Don. Oh, <laughs> you get me thought. hanging on porn stars. <laughs> yes, hang on. We'll be right back with Don Ray and more. We're going to talk about interviewing documents in a minute. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. John Ray is the author of several books about searching public records. He's also a journalist and has spent years conducting research in one form or another. Don, we exited uh, for the break on the word porn, so I'll just finish with that. Well, <laughs> back into the spread. I just love the breaks, but it, it was a Tuesday. It was clear in L.A., and I got a call from this person from uh, Larry Flint Publications that the sheriffs were looking for 
information about a young and be careful of my descriptive words. A young and and uh, vibrant young woman who was 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 <coughs> apparently the sensation of everything. Um, uh, and what the the situation was was that the sheriffs wanted to see the identification that she was by law required to give her birth certificate, driver's license, things like that, to prove her age. Her name is is uh, Tracy Lords, and she was just really really uh, uh, famous for her. For her her body and stuff. But anyway, so okay. but it turns out that um, it turns out that they were investigating the possibility that she had been underage for several years doing this incredible stuff. So the assignment to me was, or after getting the tip, my goal was to track down and solve the mystery. And so they were able to give me the name that she used as her real name, and it was a real name with a real person and a real birth certificate and a real driver's license with her picture on it. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't her real name. She had uh, she had done the old trick of getting someone else's birth certificate, apparently, and then taking the birth certificate to get a driver's license. And and normally the the system would catch that, except it was I- for identity theft before there was identity theft. Well, in a sense, yeah. But yeah. but but you never get caught if you never use it for anything. She never once uh, she never once used the driver's license. She never got a ticket with it. She never did anything at all that would generate. Uh, anything that would allow the real person of the name she was using to know that there was a porn star using her name. Um, and so I tracked down the woman whose identity she had stolen, you might say. And, of course, that woman had no knowledge that she was in porn films and things. But um, but it was kind of a, a cool thing to find out the the uh, the way that, that Tracy Lords had uh, tricked the all the different publishers and uh and producers into believing that she was of age. Wow. That's amazing. So in in either one of these situations did you did you interview documents? Um actually uh, in Tracy Lords it was interviewing the birth certificate and the driver's license and figuring out the system, which is another important point. And by figuring out the system and knowing the system very well I was able to understand how she could pull it off. Nowadays, you can't get someone else's birth certificate in California. You can get anyone's birth certificate, which is cool. You, in the past, you couldn't. But now anyone can get anyone's birth certificate or death certificate or marriage certificate. But unless you're that person and you can certify that or a close family member, you'll get a copy that says this is a copy and it's not official. That would have prevented Tracy from doing that back then. But it's about knowing the system. And back then... The way you would get caught with identity theft that way would be eventually you would there would be a place where your your behavior using those records would would conflict with something and the you know the other person would realize that she's getting warrants to go to court for traffic tickets she didn't show up for when she never got the tickets and that would prompt someone to uh, investigate and find out that there's a duplicate ID sort of a thing or or whatever but uh, in those cases the document wasn't. Uh, as important as just the the information I was following. Okay, okay, okay. So then, um, let, then let's get back to interviewing documents. Okay. Can you um, can you take us through the key things that you would look for and in, um, in interviewing a specific document? Is is that too specific for you at this point? No, it, it's it's fine. You know, all documents are are equally the same. If, you, if you've interviewed them, um, I mean, I go down the list a little bit real quickly here. 
there's 25 of them, but I've given you some already. But it's questions like, who told you this stuff? Who, were, were, how do you know that the information, where did it come from that they put it on there? Was it word of mouth or was there, did someone verify it? Who else are you allowed to talk to? Is it public record? Is it not? Uh, did you verify the information, Mr. Document? Um, how do I know you're telling me the truth? Because documents lie. And what other secrets are you keeping? And that's a good example of that one is the thing I call the SPN code, or the SPIN code Don, on someone's DTE. Excuse me, yeah. excuse me Don. You're, yeah. I'm getting some feedback. Um, Uh-oh. Uh, periodically, feedback. So I'm okay. Not, not sure you maybe too close to the mic. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, oh, I don't know, but I'll go ahead. try something. I'll get away farther away. I'm sorry about that. It's maybe it's because nope. I'm talking about classified information. Oh, that's are, it. That's are, it. Are we okay now? It's sabotage. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I'll, I'll face the other way. Okay. Um, anyway, things like uh, how do you know they're telling the truth? Who have you been talking to? Um, maybe there's a log of everyone who's looked at that file. And in court cases, you can sometimes look and say, do you have a list of who's looked at the files? Um, if you don't know the answer, who might? And oftentimes on a document, there'll be, there'll be a clue there as to who else would know. Just like you do a person. Are you legal? You may, has it been faked or altered? Uh, how did you get here? Know the flow of the document. Example with that is a death certificate. Uh, the death certificate, people go to the county recorder in California to get the death certificate. But what happens if it's the day or two days after someone dies? Well, if you know the flow of the document, you know that it first goes to the health department and it spins maybe a month at the county health department. So when I'm beating my competition to a death certificate, I'll go to the health department to get it by knowing the flow. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Okay. And then uh, toward the end, are you retired? Because they come obsolete. What's your life expectancy? There's retention policies. Who have you been intimate with? You find out who's been touching the document, who's handled it. And oftentimes there's initials or names all over a document that say somebody processed it. Well, people can talk even more than a document, so you can track those people down. Do you have twin brothers or sisters? Who else has a copy? In other words, uh, the police won't give you a copy of the police report, but maybe a copy of it goes to the sheriff's office or goes to some other department, and you might find it there, or the DA's office. Uh, are you willing to testify in court? Meaning, is this a certified copy or not? And uh, you're not planning on leaving town, are you? And that's the reminder that, that there are some documents to this day that, that vanish because uh, they only have hard copies of them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it used to be that with fictitious name statements. Someone could walk in in L.A. and rip the thing right out of the book, and there would be no record of it. So it's important to uh, to keep you know protect your witness. You might say. Well, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking at um, in in this book that I was talking about that I still have. Um, you talk about uh, the case of the secret witness too. When you were um, this was you were working with retired postal inspector Boyd Maines. Manus, okay, Uh and uh, he didn't get permission to complete it while he was a federal investigator, and ABC 2020 hired you to find some kind of link. Do you remember that case? I think I do, yeah. It was uh, finding somebody that the FBI was looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was a case of, in this case, well, what, what got me really started in public records, just as a quick background, was the day I went to the Registrar of Voters and looked through their microfiche, and bought a copy of an affidavit back way, way back a long time ago. And the the uh, the county employees was doing good customer service and said, "Can I can I sell you anything else?" And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, sell, sell me that microfish set, you know." And she pulled up this whole set and she said, "Thirty five dollars, please." 
and I learned that I could buy microfish. So as a result, I was buying up microfish for everything in the world long before the computers were putting it out on, on, for the Internet. And totally and, by accident. Well, by accident I asked, yeah. but then when I learned that, then I bought everything. Right, right. So I was down there in Riverside County with Boyd Manus and going over this this case where that involved it could have involved some uh, some Middle Eastern terrorists and the money that was flowing and things like that. But he said, "Yeah, I entered this interviewed this one guy, and after I interviewed him, he vanished completely, and I wish I could find him." So the nice thing about public records is that that um, they remain a long time places. So. I went right into my briefcase and pulled out my index for voters in both Riverside and San Bernardino and looked them both up because that was there and I could. And I found where he used to live in Riverside and where he used to live in San Bernardino counties. And then I looked also under the same last name to look to see if anybody else with the same last name lived at that address. And that's something you can do with documents and with microfiche that you can't do with an Internet connection sometimes. Mm -hmm. So anyway, and it showed that, that the wife had re-registered a couple times, and the most recent reg registration was up in, up in, uh, up near Sacramento in the Bay Area, uh, rather between the Bay Area, the, the two places up there. And so uh, that gave me an address where she was currently registered to vote, and uh, it was not very difficult to get a phone number for her and call up and ask for him. And he answered the phone, and he was shocked. He says, how in the hell did you find me? Because he didn't, he didn't keep any per records of himself anywhere. He didn't generate any records. But he forgot about the fact that wherever he went, his wife went. And it was a simple sort of thing. <laughs> but it's a question of who would know. Right. Yeah. Right. I love who it. Who would know, yeah. So he, was, he actually was an informant. He was, yeah. He had been involved in the stuff and was read, when it became an informant. Then he got afraid and scared and and deed him out and got out of there. But uh, it's happened a couple times where I found people that the FBI couldn't find. Yeah. And I might say that we have this strange law in California where voters' registration is not open to invest to private investigators, but it's open to journalists. Which yeah, I that's one of the rare cases that where where we have an advantage. And I don't believe that we should have an advantage because I'm, I'm supposed to be representing the public. But um, it is available for different purposes, though, and uh, someone should go if they're interested and look at the different purposes. For example, uh, somebody with a radio show of some sort is, while she's doing that, she's a journalist, and journalists are allowed to get them. Now, the, the, you have to swear that you're going to use them for journalistic purposes. Right. And uh, but the, the, there's ways of doing that. I just went down and bought the the database of all the LA County voters, and uh, uh, you know my responsibility is that I can use them for journalistic purposes only. But uh, there are ways of getting it. And you know, also somebody could run for office. The minute you run for office or you do a, a, a ballot measure of some sort, you have a right to buy all the voter records so that you can you can uh, campaign. Interesting. So it's, it's again, it's about figuring out the system, who is allowed to see these records, and, and then you find the person who's allowed. And that's such a contradiction that you can use them for a campaign, but you can't use them to locate people. It's just uh, for investigators. It, I just find that such a contradiction. Yeah, well, somebody didn't do the right lobbying. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it's true. Okay, we're going to take another short break. That's the voice of Don Ray. <laughs> we'll be right back. News. 
opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Sean Ray, author and journalist, is entertaining us today with his unique view of the world. He knows documents inside and out, and photos are documents. So we were just talking on the break about his uh, case that he had, he calls the family photo fiasco. This is really cool. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm helping a friend move a piano. He's, he bought a piano at an estate sale in a drizzly day in this little obscure part of Los Angeles, and um, I, I went in to wash my hands after loading this thing in. And I saw that at this estate sale, they were selling one of those big velvet-covered photo albums. And I opened it up, and it was these beautiful tin-type photos and professional photos of this family. And I thought, why in the world would they be selling these family photos? And the woman there who was administering the whole thing, she said, oh, nobody cares. She, the, the woman didn't have any kids anyway, and nobody cares about this stuff. And I said, wow. So bottom line is I, I bought it. And I asked them to fill in a few names, and they, all right, all right, all right. So anyway. Time goes by, and I become an investigative journalist, and, and I see this thing, and I thought, well, it's time to get this back in the hands of, of the family. So the whole thing was, and this is a great little exercise in how to get information, how do you go about finding out? I didn't even know the woman's name who died. Um, mm. And so bottom line is I went to the neighborhood, tried to find the house years later, and I couldn't exactly find it. And, and eventually I did, and so then, no, I'm sorry, I didn't find it. But uh, from the, the photo records, where the photographers were, they were up in Ontario, Canada, and I called a librarian up there, a historical librarian, and uh, she checked through, through old newspaper clippings and found a story about this woman, uh, the family name that I had. Some family member went to visit their aunt, and it turned out to be this woman, and it gave the address back in the 1930s or 40s. Mm. So then I went to the address. Of course, the people living there now didn't know anything about it, but the neighbors thought they might knew and no they didn't so where would you go so i went to the county assessor's office and to pull the 
the history of the assessee, and I've got the woman's name that way. Then I went to the to her death certificate and her probate file, and in the probate file, I uh, I found family members' names. The probate file is a great way to find family members. And I called different ones, and all of them kept saying, no, you want to talk to Aunt Jenny. Aunt Jenny is the one who keeps track of the family. Aunt Jenny would want it. Aunt Jenny, Aunt Jenny. So I called Aunt Jenny up back east somewhere. I said, hey, I got this wonderful family album of the whole She said, I'm not interested in buying it. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not selling it. I want to give it to a family. She said, look, are you the guy that bought it at that sale that day? I told you then, and I'll tell you now, I don't want it. Oh, my gosh. It's a lot of work for nothing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you still have it. I have it, but I mean to one day find a family member who gives a hoot. Oh, that's too much. But that's how I get obsessed with and stuff. It, and it's funny that you would find the exact person you yes. bought it from, too. That's too much. <laughs> I oh thought I told you. I thought I told you. <laughs> <laughs> or as my mother would say. Uh, what was my mother here? As my mother would say. I said no. <laughs> <laughs> too much well we are um getting close to the to the end of the show here what what kinds of tips would you like to leave with our listeners well you know what i'm going to give you the tip that is the greatest tip that that for anybody in the world doing any kind of a problem solving tip okay no i'm going to give you two real quick one of them is when you answer when you call somebody on the phone and they answer no matter what reason no matter who it is say Hi, this is so-and-so from such-and-such. Do you have a minute? And believe it or not, that will ingratiate people. But the best tip in the world is uh, is three magic words that you can say to somebody, and they will never, ever reject you, never turn you down, never be suspicious. And uh, and you find situations where you can use it. And the words are, you were right. Nobody dislikes the word you were right. Find a situation where someone who maybe doesn't want to help you come back and say, you know, you were right, and all of a sudden they're going to help you. And so... What it boils down to is, is, for example, you telling me that if I came on the air, that we'd have a really, really good time and, and we'd have some fun and it would be interesting. I just want to tell you, you were right. <laughs> oh, that's too much. Well, so so when you're saying, um, when you're introducing, introducing yourself on a phone call and you're saying, do you have a minute, uh-huh. that's, the, that's what actually captures them. Absolutely. The, Here's why. Okay. Every phone call, even if you're expecting it, every phone call is an interruption. And what you've, you've had people call you up and they just start talking and they say, oh, and you're, you're, saying, you're wanting to go to the bathroom or put the coffee down or flush the toilet or, or put the kid down or whatever, uh, or you're on another line. And the but most polite thing you can do is say, I am so-and-so from such and such. Do you have a minute? And it's not asking for a lot of their time. It's, is this a good time for me to tell you why I'm calling? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll say, no, I don't. And you say, all right, I'll call you back or call me back. And they thank you afterwards. You know, I wish everyone was that thoughtful to say, you know, to be so thoughtful of my time. Sure. It's magical. Well, you know what people often struggle with as investigators that do adoption searches, for example, that are trying to find birth families, they really struggle with contacting that person the first time to see if they're willing to be reunited with right. their mother, their father, their whoever. Um, because, it's you know, as we know, it's going to be a shock. No matter when you call where you call or who you call, when you talk to that person, their first reaction is going to be shock. Yes, yes. So how would you approach that? Well, the first thing, and here's where public records come in really handy. The first thing I want to, I want to know everything about that person before I contact them. I want to find out if they've remarried. Oftentimes a woman's remarried and she maybe hasn't told her husband about the fact that she had a child out of wedlock years before. Mm-hmm. So you never really know. So you want to find out as much as you can about it. And... Uh, 
Sometimes I'll look for victims and enemies, and that's a really important thing to do. Meaning, if it's a man we're trying to contact or a woman, you might find the the who the ex-wife or ex-husband was and check the divorce to see if it was a good one or a nasty one. And you might be able to go to that person and say, look, I want to approach this person about such and such. What advice could you give me? Um, and then you want to make sure that you contact them at a time when it's le- least likely that there's going to be somebody there uh, in their presence. I had one happen like this where I, 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 I tried a neighbor just to, with a sort of a little, I, I can't find the phone number of so-and-so, which was true, but I made it sound like I had the phone number before. And um, and I said, I just, you know, old, 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 it's regarding an old, old friend or something like that. Well, when I finally called the next morning and I said, I found the woman, and I said, are you alone? Can I tell you this stuff? And she's, yes, 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 yes. And then afterwards, when I told her what was going on, it turns out her husband was on the line listening. And she said, the neighbor came over and said someone was trying to reach us. And I just knew, I just knew it was going to be my daughter calling. And so I'm so excited. So sometimes they, they're, they're looking for it. Yeah, you have to be able to get into their shoes, and it's with anybody you ever interview. You you want to find out what their world is, what their concerns are, and uh, and address it in such a way. Which is a, another whole book I'll write one day on on approaching people. Why would they want to talk to you? Why would they want to talk to anybody? And uh, once you get in their shoes, then uh, you can make it easier for them. I like that analogy. I I really like that analogy. Getting in their shoes is yeah. that you're exactly that's exactly true. Because you do have to, you have to think through what their reaction is going to be and how you're going to deal with that. Yeah, and on the flip side, when you're dealing with people, another trick that's a good piece of advice, especially when you're dealing with people who hand out the records or who have the power to turn you down, is I say put the uniform on someone you want them to wear. So if you walk up to a clerk and you say, you lousy, lazy bureaucrat, and get off your butt and give me this document, it's going to be slow. <laughs> Very. Say, <if> <laughs> or say, never. Uh, Wow, I'm so glad to have you here because everyone says that you're you're the most helpful person around and blah 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 blah. And then they adjust their tie and say, "Well, I'm not sure I'm the most helpful, but let me try." Yeah. So put the uniform on you want them to wear. If you want a, a helpful person, then put the uniform on them as a helpful person. Yeah. Make a hero out of them. I often find that it's uh, effective to say uh, to say, "Hi, I'm Francie Kaler. I I know I'm the last person you want to talk to." And of course, their reaction is, "Well, why?" You know. Uh, that's good. Tell me yeah. More. And, yeah. and of course, that's good. You find your own style. Also, I, I use a Columbo approach, yeah. where where I'm, I'm just kind of like bumbling dumb, and I, I get them to to reach out and help me, you know. And uh, but you remember that they have the power, and you don't. Exactly, exactly. They do have the power, and and whether you're approaching a government person in a in a criminal clerk's office or a civil clerk's office or the assessor's office or or wherever you're going or a law enforcement. Uh, agency or the individual at their home, um, you're you're interrupting them. You're interrupting their day. Right, right. And yeah, it's important. And the other thing is that that you you could think in your mind, what would be the element or the emotion or whatever that they're that they're holding. Sometimes it's curiosity, and I'll walk in with a big fat file and say, "Hi, I've been looking into the this such thing, and I've got all this information, but it doesn't make sense. Can you help me a little bit?" And they're looking at the file. That's all they want, you know. And then yeah. they invite you in to see the file, and you can negotiate from there. And sometimes it's ego. Barry Minkow, uh, to get him to talk, was was uh, him daring me, challenging me to find somebody. And, of course, I, I didn't find the person. 
you know, I said, look at me. I'm stupid. He's all right, you idiot. You know, where do you want to have dinner? Because he promised dinner. He said, if you drive down the street, if you don't see the house on your own, I'll buy you dinner. Well, of course. Well, I went down the street with blinders and right. he bought me dinner. And then, then he told me in that first dinner what the crimes were that he committed. Uh, you know, That's great. just amazing. So it's all about what, what a person needs. All right, know. Don, we've got, we're th- at the end of the hour, and I'd love <laughs> to talk to you more. Uh, thank you so much. Thank it's really so been much. fun. Invite me back again. I absolutely will. And okay. let me just mention uh, quickly a couple of conferences. The West Coast Super Conference presented by PI Magazine and the California Association of Licensed Investigators is at the Westin Hotel in San Diego, June 28th to 30th. If you're interested in that, go to www.cali org, and then the National Association of Legal, Legal Investigators are in Chicago June 7th to the 9th. Uh, NallyOnline.org is that contact. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Don. It's PIs Declassify. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.